0: Hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of the PBSL podcast. My name is Ashman, I'm a freshman at the University of
1: Michigan. My name is Reese, I'm a sophomore uh, at the of
2: And I'm Emma, I'm also a sophomore at the University of Michigan.
1: All of us are in the Ad Blue Stream Leader program.
0: Today, we're going to be discussing the PCCN report. Emma, why don't you tell us a little about the context behind this report, kind of how it came to be and what the purpose of it is.
2: Yeah, so um, the report was where the, the President Commission on Carbon Neutrality was started in 2019 um, when President Mark Schlissel, um, appointed a group of people to um, look into um, carbon neutrality on campus. Um, So the experts have been working on um, this report for a little under a year now. Um, And now they have their first draft out, um, which is what we are going to be talking about. Um, So the draft is open right now until the end of January um, for public comment. And after that period is closed, um, the um, the commission is going to finalize the recommendations to the university, and um, the university will take them into account after that.
1: So before we get started on going over a brief summary of the report, we found it important that we provide just a short overview of the terminology used in the report, just to make sure we're using a shared vocabulary. Probably the most important and most used of these terminologies will be describing the scopes of carbon emissions um, from the university. These are divided into categories, scope one, scope two, and scope three. Scope one are emissions that are directly uh, emitted by the university. their central power plant and other sources. Scope 2 emissions are emissions that come from purchased electricity from the university. So uh, if the university purchases electricity that come from burning coal, the emissions that came from burning coal are the Scope 2 emissions. Finally, Scope 3 describes these indirect emissions that come from other purchased and Just indirect causes. So, this includes like employee commuting, uh, purchased food, purchased merchandise, and all the carbon emissions just associated with basically everything else. So, those are the three scopes that we'll use in our description. And finally, um, if we talk about carbon offsetting, carbon offsetting is a way that the university can balance out and become carbon neutral. Uh, without directly bringing their emissions down to zero. They do this by, uh, one way they do this is by investing sustainable energy or basically just in a way that will do something positive and take away carbon from the atmosphere of the same amount that they're emitting. So all in all, it balances out to what is carbon neutral. So this report, I don't know about you guys,
0: but personally, when I first looked at it, it looked quite intimidating. So I think it might help a little if we can give like a little background on maybe how to approach the report. And I think the big thing to keep in mind while reading this is it's really organized around the different scopes of emissions that the university is offsetting. So there's there's a couple different sections. The main sections are Addressing the plans for scope one and two emissions, how to uh, either offset those or or stop producing them, and also the same for scope three emissions. And then there's a few smaller sections on community engagement, leadership, and giving a little more structure to how these goals will be eventually realized. But like. Uh, Emma had mentioned before, this is really the first draft. So a lot of the report is mostly based on giving recommendations and there's not too much on exactly how these plans will go through.
2: Yeah, I think um, the report is just so long that I think anyone could find something um, in the report that they're interested in. Um, so I think it, it's gonna be fun for, um, for us to just talk about the things that we thought were the most exciting in the report because it was very long. And <laughs> um, so hopefully we can go over some parts that we thought were exciting and that you think will be exciting also.
1: One of the most ambitious projects that is presented in the PCCN, the President's Commission on Carbon Neutrology, uh entails a campus-wide switch from the current way of heating, which is the steam that comes from the central power plant transitioning into a geothermal heating system. And this is a very cost intensive and labor intensive because it takes a lot of management. Um, But in a sense to describe the change in efficiency, uh, the electricity that heats the buildings currently uh you get about one electrical unit of power to one unit of heating. Um, the geothermal system that is being proposed uh, is will give 2.5 to 8 times as much heating as the electricity that goes in. And so the way this is powered is by utilizing the latent heat that is present underground. And so a way to think about it is that the ground is an average from the winter to summer temperature. And so in the summer, the ground will be cooler and you can use the cooler temperature as a heat rejection mechanism. And in the winter, it'll be warmer and so you can draw heat from the ground to heat. And so logistically, uh, the total cost is a whopping $3 billion. Um, But because of the increased efficiency of this heating, the report outlines that it'll only take 61 years of operating at this, with this geothermal system to pay back that $3 billion that it would take to construct it. And um, it is important for the scale. This, is, this would be the largest uh, geothermal heating infrastructure for university For comparison, the next largest would be the one in Ball State University, uh, which is five times larger than. And so in order to achieve this task, obviously we can't just shut down campus and just pop in a geothermal heating system. The way that they outlined in the report is a timeline of 20 years um, in which the process is done campus by campus and additionally Doing over 20 years allows for the use of new technology as it emerges um, while the construction is completed. And uh, as that technology is developed, uh, the hope is that this 20 years will return to 15 years if that more efficient way is easier to implement. Lastly, over the 20 years that they propose for the implementation of the geo exchange system, Uh, some campuses are a lot easier to implement than others. So at the beginning, one of the prime candidates is North Campus, um, which can be implemented with moderately little effect on the actual academic um, use of the campus. On the more difficult end are the medical campuses who rely on that, that energy for critical purposes, as well as the Ross athletic campus because of the need for available parking for football game. But that is one of the main ways that the report aims to reduce the scope one emissions that come from the central power plant, central power plant to heat the campus. I think one interesting thing
0: about that proposal is sort of the emphasis on a technological sort of top-down solution to Scope 1 emissions. And I was wondering what your guys' thoughts were on seeing that PBSL is really a program designed towards behavior change, while on the other hand, it seems that a lot of the recommendations in this report are sort of top-down infrastructure changes.
1: Yeah, I think part of that is that Behavior change can be such a kind of fluid way of approaching carbon neutrality. Neutrality, as far as presenting it in a report, you can say that I don't know, just a geothermal system is uh, eight more, eight times more efficient than a steam-powered system, and if we implement this uh, in a hundred years, we will it will be profitable. Whereas behavior change is smaller scale and it's also a lot harder to um, present you can't say okay we're going to start asking people to, to recycle more and we're going to get this much effect because it's just so un- unknown
2: yeah i think that's a, a good segue into kind of what i wanted to talk about um i was really interested in looking at the scope three approaches um or recommendations um because I think that they're more focused on individual um, and like cultural shifts um, or community shifts and community behaviors, which I think are really interesting when we're thinking about carbon neutrality. Cause I think that there are a lot of like technological innovations that need to be done, but also in order to make, to reach carbon neutrality it has to be like a universal effort. It can't just be technology. It has to be um, like every, every part of the system has to um, work towards carbon neutrality. So I thought one aspect of scope three that was really interesting was um, their, um, the approach to food. So one thing that they outlined in the report was um, like encouraging students to have a more eco-conscious diet and well, not just students, students and staff, Um, um, which I think is really interesting because I feel like a lot of people are very passionate about like what they want to eat. Like you can't, um, like, I think that it's good that they weren't like, we're gonna eliminate all meat or, or dairy products from campus because that would be really hard. Some like, I feel like Americans in particular are just very passionate about their like burgers or their steaks. And I think that there would be a riot if the dining halls just like stopped, um, if they just like went vegan or something. Um, so I think that the way they talked about um, like changing people's diet was, diets was really interesting. Um, so basically the report called for a more eco-conscious um, diet, which is they weren't like saying like no more meat they were saying um, like take meat off of like the center stage and try to reduce red meat intake or while like increasing like poultry which is a slightly more sustainable meat choice. Um, and also like encouraging people to um, look at like plant-based foods, which I think is cool. I think the um, the dining halls have done a pretty good job at, of like starting this process. So basically, well, I lived in South Quad last year and i'm a vegetarian and i feel like they always had some some pretty like sick like vegetarian options they were always really good like i was never like i never didn't have options so i think m dining has like done a really good job of starting this process and i think that with these recommendations it would be really interesting um a component that they touched on but didn't go into depth with was the education that comes behind, like switching to a more eco-friendly diet. Um, I think when, when people think about eliminating meat or dairy products from their diet, they get a little bit concerned about where they'll get like their nutrients from. So I think that that's where the education comes in and helping people figure out how to shift their diets in a way that's still healthy for them and healthy for the planet. Um, is really important, and I think that the report probably could have gone into a little bit more depth about how they would educate people, but I think that it was still very interesting. What do you guys think about, like, a plant-based diet?
0: Well, I haven't had the opportunity to uh, be on campus yet and actually experience the university food. Um, (laughs) Personally, I mean, I don't, it, it would be fine for me because I'm, I'm already vegan, so it's I'm used to not eating um, meat or dairy or anything. But I do like that they take this sort of nuanced approach, focusing more on how people can reduce their meat intake rather than sort of saying uh, nobody's allowed to eat meat anymore because the vegan vegetarian movement has already been criminalized quite a bit and has not the best optics.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that it's a lot harder to try to fix the issues, the scope three emissions that are, um, I mean, they're all behavior-based, right? I know one of the issues that they addressed was the parking situation where they're thinking about moving from annual parking to annual parking charges to daily parking charges. Just to, um, if someone's feeling good wants to take a bike ride to campus one day, they have an incentive to avoid that daily parking cost. And I think that for some, the policy um, aligns easier to Um, those behavior changes, where I think food is just a really hard way to convince people to stop eating meat. And not only that, the effects of that only really felt, felt if it has a broad impact and if a lot of people start eating meat. And so I think it is a really important category, but I also think it's really important that the PCCN is recommending it.
0: So I think with that, the last scope that we didn't mention was scope two. And this is actually the part which I found the most interesting. So scope two emissions, most of our scope two emissions are emissions that are generated from the electricity we buy from mostly uh, DT and consumers energy. And the target for that the report re- recommended was eventually sourcing renewable energy from the grid. And what is mentioned in the report is this is actually the least complex and lowest cost near-term option for U of M to significantly reduce its greenhouse gas emissions. We're actually already on schedule for 2021. Uh, The university made a power purchase agreement for 75 megawatts or of wind energy from DT's uh, Michigan Green Power Program, this will probably supply around 200,000 megawatt hours of renewable electricity annually, which is about 40% of the Ann Arbor campus's current electricity buy. This this plan is interesting because it's it's sort of a very quick solution and a quick economic solution, but it also rely on DT and consumer energy upgrading their own technology and investing in their own renewable electricity so that we can actually like so that there's actually renewable electricity to buy from them. And I think coupled with this is also the proposal for a for a carbon uh, a carbon pricing system and a no carbon pricing system where different businesses within the university have to pay um, a carbon price for the amount of electricity they use. And this type of system has been used in many other universities such as um, Yale. I think Yale was the first university to implement this. And I think these are two of the more interesting economic options for how the university will reduce its scope to emissions. This, however, is where a major critique of the report lies, which, Reese, I think you brought up before, which is that there's no mention of carbon divestments. So we're in a section of the report which is talking about sort of monetary investments into renewable le- electricity the fact that the university has like a billion dollars involved in fossil fuel extraction is not proud of
2: I I think that I personally think I would have liked to see something like I would have liked to see them like announce or like recommend that the university divest from fossil fuels cuz I think people have been calling for this for like a really long time and to have them like Produce this report that's eighty plus pages long and not have anything committing to, um, like divesting from the problem. I think is a little bit weird to see. The university has so much money, and I think that they have a lot of power because they have that much money. So I think that by divesting in like from fossil fuels, um, they could really make a statement and. Like, put the university, like, push the university forward um, on these issues. But I think that it's just, it's not something that they're willing to do. Like, they wouldn't, they didn't even recommend it, which I think is a little bit strange.
1: Yeah, I think that they mentioned this in the report in the scope two emissions section. But the price of renewable energy is, it keeps falling as new technologies develop. I think it's very easy to just simply hop onto the renewable energy train. Like it is a good investment. That is just an objective fact. I think you're right Emma that divesting from fossil fuel industry is a much more um, important stance to take um, where any university can say they're just investing into clean energy there's very little cost associated to it uh, aside yeah, from and the
0: rise, the falling costs of clean energy. It also brings us to question how good of an investment into a fo- a, how good an investment in fossil fuels even really is. Like if the university's only goal is to make money, then even then it starts, it's sort of starts not making sense.
1: Yeah. I think that while well, the, I know I'm not an economic, an economist but sorry economist Well, <laughs> while investing in the fossil fuel industry it might not be that um smart of a decision as it slows down as researchers get depleted it is divesting is still i mean the rate of growth of the fossil fuel industry will soon be decreasing but as resources run out but it is still increasing. So having an investment is still making money. Divesting that commitment is removing that revenue source. And it's like a lot bigger of a statement to reinvest that into clean energy rather than just leave it going since it's still making money. Yeah, and I think the fact that carbon divestment isn't really mentioned,
0: kind of highlights the broader critique of this report, which is it doesn't really focus on social and political responsibilities and the, the ways that the university can affect uh, climate
1: change through those avenues. Yeah, I agree. I think that this report and the plan that it proposes as well as most carbon neutrality and just sustainability initiatives in general are about thinking long-term Um, anyone can see that uh, implementing initiatives that help alleviate the effects and um, symptoms of global warming, they're worried about what is, will be happening in the future rather than what is happening presently. And I think the default mentality in a way is just well, it's not that bad now, so we don't need to fix it yet. When it's bad, we'll fix it.
2: Yeah, I think it, it is important to like think about how like broad of a task that the that this like group of people was given. Like, I think it's a it's it, it's an extremely hard problem to solve, and there are just so many aspects that go into carbon neutrality on campus. Um, So it just, I feel like it's just super complicated, but I'm also wondering like once next month when these recommendations are finalized and they're given to the university, like how how much is actually going to be done? Like is the university going to like actually like commit to doing everything that's recommended or are they gonna pick and choose? I'm curious to see how the recommendations will be adapted or adopted.
0: really do hope that it doesn't end up being just like a report that gets put on a shelf somewhere to collect a dust and it actually does get carried through because there are a lot of good recommendations and I guess we'll see what happens. Um, The report really doesn't go into much structure about how these things will be implemented or, or or, like a accountability system to make sure that they are implemented. But yeah, I guess we'll just, we'll see.
1: I mean, again, this is a draft and I can't underscore how important it is for the campus community and uh, those who are listening to this and us who are presenting to give feedback on it even if you think that oh this report's fine let them know like just write a comment this is, i think this report is fine that way they know that they can that they can report it as it is and not cut things because the report's purpose is to summarize what can be done to transform this university into a carbon neutral university and its purpose is to make sure that these recommendations are sound but also make sure that they're supported and by leaving a comment you can really show your support for it and make sure that they are making the best recommendation to the university that they know is supported and well reasoned through.
2: Yeah I think that we cannot emphasize enough how important it is to comment and make your voice heard and because I think that is how we end up holding them accountable and making sure that the changes that we want to see actually happen. Because um, I think that if we're paying attention and we're telling them what we want, they, they can't just like sweep the report under the rug and not do it. But if you guys want to um, read the report for yourself or make a comment, um, we will include the link to the PCCN report and the place to comment um, in the description of the podcast. And we very much encourage you to take a look and make your voice heard.
1: But with that said, I think we're all really glad that you were able to take your time and listen to us just talk about the PCCN um, and make sure that everyone on campus is the most informed they can be about it. And if you want to leave a comment, uh, make sure to do that by January 26th, because that is the deadline. As after January twenty-six, the PCCN will begin formalizing the final draft of the recommendation. But with that said, that's all we have for you today. Um, thank you so much.